welcome all of you to this special time and hour of worship here at Memorial United Methodist Church. Uh, I won't ask how many of you came at 10 o'clock thinking it was time for Sunday school. We just won't go there. I did see one car pull into the parking lot about 845 and pull right back out. I, maybe, maybe someone was here for the 9 o'clock service and they got to go to Waffle House instead. I don't know. But it's good to see all of you here. <clears throat> and it has been a um, wonderful weekend. And I want to just take a, a minute to see if I can spot some of the folks who... Uh, who have been working so hard for almost a year to bring about this special His Weekend. If you've been a part of that committee working on that, would you stand where you are so we might just thank you? Don't be shy. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> Steve Barbary has been our point man, um, who has done a lion's share of the work and uh, when, when she started working on this, Katie Jeter was not an employee of this church. And so we got her on board working for the church about halfway through the planning process. And now tomorrow her real job starts. <laughs> I guess she can, she can go to some other things now after this, but she has certainly been so very key in uh, bringing this about. And we appreciate all of you so very much. Uh, a couple of announcements to bring to your attention. This is for the children. Please remember, children, we have choir practice only this afternoon from 5.30 to 6.15. Um, there are no educational program tonight after that, but we're preparing for a children's performance on May the 9th, Mother's Day. So we remind our children of this important uh, event. Uh, question, are you willing to help with Vacation Bible School? Uh, we will meet on Sunday, May the 2nd at 4 p.m. in the social hall for a Saddle Ridge Ranch planning meeting. Please plan to attend if you're interested in helping with Bible school. And would you like a His Weekend t-shirt to remember this special weekend? Please see Katie Jeter in order to place your order. Shirts are short sleeve, light gray with uh, His Weekend logo in black and red on the back, and uh, T-shirts are $15, and proceeds go to benefit Relay for Life. Order forms are in your Sunday school classrooms. Um, this morning when we receive our offering, there's been some question about this. As always, you can designate your offering to, to whatever you might like. Um, some of you had made plans to give special contributions this weekend to the Relay for Life program and if you will just simply indicate that on your check and on your envelope that will help those that separate the offering to uh, make sure your gift gets to the right spot. Um, with staff paydays coming you're invited just to put it in regular offering though. That will that'll be fine as well. Um, Adam Wycliffe has an announcement to make at this time. <clears throat> Hey, good morning. I'm glad all y'all showed up at 10. I just woke up like 10 minutes ago. I'm not, I'm not kidding, I really did. Um, thank all y'all for coming out for the Merle State Hunger Walk last, uh, last weekend. We, uh, Soup Kitchen has another event coming up uh, this coming Saturday. It's the Soup for You Bicycle Ride. You guys probably see it in the bottom of your calendar. Remember these are bulletins? But um, 
It, uh, registration starts at 7.30. Uh, the bike rides begin at 8.30. We have a two to five mile family ride, a 40 mile and 80 mile regular ride for those who like doing really long races. And then also a 100 mile assault on Mount Mitchell. And it's 25 bucks a rider, $30 per family. And all the proceeds go towards Group Soup Kitchen and Daily Bread Ministries. And if you need more information, you can always check out our website. It's awesome. It's, uh, Greer, it's uh, greersoupkitchen.com. Thanks. So that we uh, don't in interfere with the flow of worship in a few minutes, just a couple more quick announcements. One is you'll notice the roses today um, honoring a, a couple of new little folks that uh, have joined the Greer community and our family. Um, Nora Kate Henson, uh, daughter of John and Katie Henson, granddaughter of Mike and Ellen, and great-granddaughter of Ann Dobson. How about that? Uh, and another one in, in honor of Kale McCaslin Davis, uh, Kyle and Cindy Davis's uh, new son. So we welcome these folks. I want to just take a moment to, at this time, to introduce our speaker who will be coming our way in a little while. Uh, and also to tell you that um, even as we're sitting here, um, the air conditioner is being worked on. So we'll hope to get some air stirring in a few minutes if you're a little warm. We are aware of the problem. Um, but let me just introduce to you Jim Nates. Um, first of all though, from the His Weekend and Relay for Life Committee, Jim, there's a packet of goodies here for you. This is for, now where's Patsy, his wife? Yeah, with Penny, okay. Patsy, this I think is for you. It's a Taste of Heaven uh, cookbook from our, you know, and I remember how Jim cooks. This is for you. Uh, but I see a, a Relay for Life hat and a His Weekend t-shirt and some other goodies in here as a memento of, our, of your visit with us. And I wanted to give this to you before I sit on it. In 1975, Penny and I traveled uh, to Irmo, South Carolina, where I began working in a very exciting, rapidly, explosively growing church uh, as the youth minister, youth director. Uh, the man who employed me is today a dear friend, and he calls me his son, and his name is Julian Lazare. And from Julian, I was inspired to... Uh, hear the word from God to be an ordained, the call from God to be an ordained minister. After two years of working together, the bishop moved Julian, and I never in my life had heard of a Jim Nates, but he was coming to be my boss, and that was a frightening thing, just simply because he was an unknown. But I want you to know in the next four years, I watched Jim as we worked together, and from Jim, I learned how to be a pastor. Um, I watched everything he did and watched how appropriate and how uh, dedicated he was and, and he, he has been my model for, for these many, many years. As I have often said, uh, on my very best days in ministry, you are seeing my best imitation of Jim Nates and that's the sincere truth. Um, so he is uh, more than just the man who was my boss for four years. He is very much my mentor. Um, and we were saying at supper last night that 33 years have passed since we first met. 
And even though we haven't worked together since 1981, we have maintained this uh, friendship across the years, and uh, he means so very much to me. And uh, I just am so delighted that I could get him to come to, to finish off our special weekend. Um, to me, this will be the high point because of, of, uh, of him being here with us. Uh, this white robe that I am wearing is extremely tight in the collar because I haven't worn it in about 30 years. But this is the way we looked on Sunday mornings when we worked together. And we had three Sunday morning services every week. Um, and and it, was a, it was a mad rush uh, as we ministered to that very grow, growing congregation. So uh, it is with a great deal of uh, personal satisfaction and a great deal of joy that I am able to present Jim Nates to you and to say to you that uh, I will always, Jim, be so very grateful for our time together. In the years since I left Irmo, I've had nothing but wonderful churches. I really have had wonderful churches. And I have enjoyed a blessed ministry everywhere I've gone. But this is the truth. Never do I expect to enjoy ministry ever again to the degree I enjoyed it when I was this man's associate. We had more fun and we got more done. And uh, I will always be grateful for that. Let us now worship God.
Now let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, we invite the children to come forward to join Ralph Johnson for a few moments of sharing. morning. How are y'all? Before I start with a children's sermon, I know that nobody else will have a chance to get to a microphone, so I would just like to say that I hope that Dr. Nates didn't uh, teach Arthur all of the jokes that he knows. <laughs> Otherwise, we're in for it. Does anybody know what this what we call this weekend? What we're calling it here at Memorial? His weekend. That's right. Does anybody know what his stands for? That's true. But the letters his stand for hope, inspiration, and salvation. Now I know some of those words are big, but I know you all know what hope means. So today we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches us about hope, inspiration, and salvation. First, let me ask, have you ever seen a top 10 list? Like top 10 lists, I've seen uh, top 10 movies of the year, or the top 10 songs of the year, uh, top 10 rankings all the time in sports and athletic teams. And I, I imagine this week, somebody had a top 10 list of, of NFL draftees. Um, so they're top ten lists for just about everything we can think of. Well, I put together a top ten list of stories in the Bible. And I did this with the idea of coming up with something that would be appropriate for his weekend. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure you have favorite stories in the Bible. Can anybody think of one that they have? about David and Goliath? Is that a good one? Okay. Mary and Joseph and Jesus the baby, the birth, the, the making of the earth in Genesis. That's a favorite story. I like things like uh, 
David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den, some of those good Old Testament stories. Okay. Joseph in the many-colored coat. Yeah, that was Jonah in the well. Yeah, exactly. That's a good story. Um, well, I tell you, back when I was uh, your age, uh, and we had, I came to Sunday school here, but we also had vacation Bible school in the summertime. And we used to memorize verses. And back when I came, and they may still do it, but good-looking um, teenage girls used to help the adults at vacation Bible school. And so I was, I would try to learn all of those verses to impress those girls. Even then, I knew uh, what a good-looking girl looked like. Anyway, let's go, let's get back to our top ten list here. I started out by writing an important word, and then beside each word, I put somebody's name in the Bible, and then I put a scripture reference out there. Can anybody tell me what word I wrote? Christian, exactly. And I know all of y'all know Christ and Herod and Ruth and Isaiah and Samson. Some of those uh, are familiar to you, but I bet you nobody knows this last one down here for the end. His name is Naaman. Okay? And I'm going to tell you about Naaman. Naaman was a general in the army of the Syrian army. And the Syrians weren't really friendly with Israel at all. They were not good friends. But Naaman was a powerful man. He was the second in command of all the people in Syria. And he was a hero. Uh, and had all of these men under his command and chariots and legions. Uh, so he was a really powerful man. But Naaman was sick. Naaman had a disease that was called leprosy. Okay? Well, Naaman wanted to uh, get rid of the leprosy, just like anybody that was sick would like to be cured. But there was no cure in biblical times for leprosy. So he was pretty much stuck with it. But there was a servant girl that worked for Naaman's wife that came from Israel. And the servant girl said that if Naaman would go and see the prophet in Israel, that the prophet would cure him. Well, Naaman wasn't too sure about that, but he decided to do it, try it anyway. So he had the king of Syria write a letter to the king of Israel and as kind of as an introductory letter. And they sent him to, um, he went to, to uh, Israel to see the king. Well, when he got to see the king and the king understood what he was there for to be cured, uh, the king said, who do you think I am, God? I can't cure you. Well, there was a prophet in Israel named Elijah. And Elijah heard that Naaman was there, and so he asked the king to send Naaman by his house. So Naaman, with all of his attendants and chariots and men and horses, went over to uh, Elisha's house. Well, when they got there, Elijah didn't even come out. He sent a messenger out, and the messenger said that Elijah said, 
if you go and dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be cured of leprosy. Well, Naaman was angry. He was mad. He thought, what kind of hocus-pocus magic is this? And so he left in a rage on his way back to Syria. But two of his attendants stopped him and said, listen, general, what would you have done if the prophet had asked you to do some great thing? Why not try it? It's worth a try. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River in Israel and dipped himself in the river seven times. And after the seventh time when he came out, his body was cleansed and cured of leprosy. So he and his men went straight to Elijah's house, and the Bible tells us that he said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And now we're talking about hope this weekend. So hope, Naaman had hope that he would be cured, and that's why he went to Israel. And he was inspired by his attendants to go down and dip himself in the Jordan River. And salvation is the last part of his weekend. And Naaman was saved not only from his disease, which would have eventually killed him, but by a simple confession of faith that there was only one God, and that God was in Israel. Now, you may have noticed, if you were looking closely, that my top ten list only goes to nine, doesn't it? Hmm. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give each one of you one of these to take home with you. And what I'd like for you to do is get your parents to help you look these up, these scriptures up this week, read them, they're all fairly short, and then you come up with your favorite story and put it in the, in the 10 position, okay? Now, we'll give those to you right after we pray. Would you bow your heads? <clears throat> Father God, be with these children. Hold them in your arms. Give them hope for the future. Inspire them to be the best that they can be. And let them know that salvation is the only way to eternal life. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.
I want to thank Jane Rhodes, who worked with Ralph during his teenage years as a youth counselor. <laughs> and Margie Crowley, who taught him in public school. Because I didn't know Ralph knew 10 stories from the Bible. I... <clears throat> Our responsive reading is Psalm 116, found on page 837. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able and uh, as we share this together responsively. I love the Lord who has heard my voice and my supplications and has inclined his ear to me whenever I called. Then I call on the name of the Lord. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has now found For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I kept my faith even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. What shall I return to the Lord for all of my benefits? I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we first give you thanks for this blessed weekend, for the stories that we have heard, for the inspiration we've received, for the hope that is ours always, and for the salvation that comes from walking with you every day of our lives. We're thankful that there are those who have received encouragement by both word and song this weekend. And we pray for your continued blessings upon our efforts, especially your special strengthening power to abide upon Jim as he comes to share your word with us this day. Lord, we struggle in life against so many things. I guess sometimes we forget that Struggling is the norm for us as human beings. From the first moment of our lives when we struggled for breath until the last moment of life here, it can be quite a lot of difficulty at times. How good it is for us to know that you are on our side, that you are with us, and that your desire is that we be victorious in all of life. And as this church has worked hard this weekend to raise funds for our continuing fight against cancer, we, we pray, O oh Lord, for the insight to be sent from heaven to earth that would lead to a cure of this and other dreaded diseases. O oh God who is on our side, we look for answers to come from your throne of grace to bring us health and healing. And we are grateful, Lord, that you have such a wonderful plan for us. We are thankful that you have saved us through Christ Jesus, that it is your desire that all people everywhere come to know you as the only God who loves all your children. And we are thankful that your plan for us includes a great and lengthy eternal life that knows no end, a life where we will enjoy learning and prayer and praise and fellowship with all of your people. How grateful we are that even when we suffer defeat in this life, there is resurrection into the life to come. These are our many prayers of thanks and of hope, of inspiration, and of our constant experience of your saving grace. For we offer our prayers in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving. <laughs>
there's a traditional greeting in the Christian community where the leader of the service comes out and he says to the people, the Lord be with you. And then the people response, respond, and also with you. You already know it. So let, let, let's, let's do that. The Lord be with you. Good. That sounds good. I want to take just a few minutes, and I could take a long time uh, reminiscing about Arthur and Penny and our time at Union Church at Irmo. And uh, glad to see some. I don't know if I spot anybody else, but so glad to have a good friend and colleague and my last district superintendent while I was in the full active ministry, uh, the Reverend George Strait and Harriet back there. I'm so glad that, that they're here. He was one of my best district superintendents, and I had a lot of them <laughs> over the years. But Arthur and I had a good time at Union. We really did. We worked hard. You had to. And uh, Arthur was, you know, he always had a little whimsical side to him, I guess you gathered. <laughs> and we would use old corny jokes and things, you know. And uh, I remember one time, you've heard this a thousand times, Arthur had done one of his first person portrayals. I think you did recently, yet last Sunday or two Sundays ago. And uh, I said at a service after one time, I said, well, Arthur, they say, really, Arthur does such a good job. He ought to be on the stage. And there's one waiting for him outside to take him away. If he, you know. But he and I went through a lot of, we shared a lot of laughter, shared some tears. And we used to have a place up there about it. We had a bench about as big as this one back here and we had to sit beside each other. And we would read the bulletin sometimes during the anthem. I know. <laughs> and and uh, we would pick up the mistakes in the bulletin. And one Sunday we saw one that was, uh, uh, it would be censored if you <laughs> read it anywhere that it wasn't a mistake. And both of us started laughing. And I said, Arthur, you got to get up and pray. He said, I can't get up and pray. I said, get up and pray. <laughs> and he did. But I, I really have, I have a folder. I don't know if author, I call it authorisms, things that I've collected over the years. They, just the humor and so forth. And author was in seminary while he was there working with the youth and visiting and assisting in all three services on Sunday and preaching on a regular basis, and uh, he did so much. I'll be serious for a few minutes. He, he excelled in school. He graduated with honors from Lutheran Southern Seminary, which is an excellent, difficult seminary, excellent school. And he would spend, I don't know how he was, all, full time, really, we had 80 youth about average in our youth program then on the evening time. And he managed all of that. And the young people were crazy about him. And I just want to say very genuinely, it's been such a pleasure to have known Arthur and Penny these 33 years. And to say to you, you have one of the ablest, most dedicated, 
pastors around. A man of faith, compassion, and integrity. You really do. And I hope you appreciate him. I want to read now from the New Testament. These words taken from 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, 1 through 10. And oh, Arthur, didn't, he said about the time, he said we need to beat the Baptists to the restaurants. But that's all he said. That's all. So, uh, you know, we'll be here a little while longer, but I won't keep you forever. I'm reading this passage from, if, if you have, looking at your Bibles, it probably won't sound like this. This is from a translation by J.B. Phillips, which I think is a magnificent translation. It is a scholarly translation, but it's in modern English. So listen to it, please. As cooperators with God himself, we beg you then not to fail to use the grace of God. For God's word is, at an acceptable time I hearkened unto thee, and in a day of salvation did I succor thee. Now is the acceptable time. And this very day is the day of salvation. As far we, as we are concerned, we do not wish to stand in anyone's way, nor do we wish to bring discredit on the ministry God has given us. Indeed, we want to prove ourselves genuine ministers of God, whatever we have to go through. Patient endurance of troubles or even disaster, being flogged or imprisoned, being mobbed, having to work like slaves, having to go without food or sleep, all this we want to meet with sincerity, with insight and patience, by sheer kindness and, holy, and the Holy Spirit, with genuine love, speaking the plain truth and living by the power of God. Our sole defense, our only weapon, is a life of integrity, whether we meet honor or dishonor, praise or blamed. Now, these next few verses are the ones, well, not quite yet, but it, it says, called impostors, we must be true. Called nobodies, we must be in the public eye. And these next three verses are the ones we're going to focus on this morning. Never far from death, yet here we are alive, always going through it, yet never going under. We know sorrow. Yet our joy is inextinguishable. We have nothing to bless ourselves with, yet we bless many others with true riches. We are penniless, and yet in reality, we have everything worth having. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh, gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you. For you are our Redeemer and our Savior. Amen. It was a Saturday morning, and I was in the first year of high school at Old Columbia High School in Columbia. 
and they had tryouts for the track team. So I went down to the track at the University of South Carolina because we were, we were right downtown. If you know where Washington Street United Methodist Church is, we were right across the corner there. It's, it's where the Baptists bought it out, and there's a sanctuary there now that they have, First Baptist Church. We were just about a, a block and a half from Main Street. So we went down, and on that Saturday morning, and I was an eager young teenager. I was, what, I was 14, 14 years of age. I was excited. I got up, and I, I was up early anyway. I carried news, the state newspaper for 10 years, so I had to get up at 5 o'clock every morning, seven days a week. That's why I don't like mornings now. But uh, I ate a big breakfast to get my energy up. We went down to the track, and there was a coach, H.B. Rame, a fine man who became my track coach and was my football coach in the 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And the first thing he did with those of us who wanted to be runners was said, get on your marks, you're going to run a 440. 440 yards back then, they didn't use meters. And that's one time around the track. So all of us boys got out there and started running. And I ran as fast as I could, you know. I was trying to give it my best. I ran as hard as I could all the way around that track. And when I got to the end, I walked off the track over to the side and lost all my breakfast. <laughs> but I took part in the track team and as part of this, especially starting out, experimenting with what I could do, though I went on all the way later to run the high hurdles and, and the low hurdles. But I was on a relay team. Uh, you know, if you don't know what a relay team is, you know, either that then we would run a half-mile relay or a mile relay. And there were four people going from one place to another. And you carried a baton, and you ran a quarter of the total distance then you handed it off to someone else in a specified space, and they took it and they ran. Everybody was important, and you had to work together as a team. And the last person was called the anchor man, and he was very important because he was the one, if you were behind, expected that he'll pull you up ahead and take you through. And I really enjoyed that, but it told me something about working together with people. And I know you're emphasizing on this His Weekend, the Relay for Life. And I want to share just a little while here some things about life's relays because I think we're all in a relay, so to speak. We have different stages. Somebody hands off a baton to us and we take it and we may give it off to somebody else and they take it. But together, we can win the victory. Now, it's not a beating somebody else but it's having that victory that Jesus talked about when he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He didn't say how or what condition that would be, but he said, this is the way it is. And in this passage of Scripture this morning, we hear some words that, that should burn upon our hearts because we know they're true. Never far from death, we know that's true, don't we? Though we are a death-denying society, but we need to know, and this is not a morbid thing. This is a thing that enables us to live life to the fullest. 
to know we're never far from death. We had a funeral this past Thursday of a young woman, 37 years of age, killed out here on Interstate 85. Don't know how it happened. They had the service there for her. The sanctuary was crowded. This kind of a thing, she was going to her shop where she was a beautician, and she died out there. Death is near all the time. But we need to know this. We're never far from death, yet here we are alive, you and I. And there are others alive in the Spirit in a very real sense. How we need to know that things happen to us. Again, a young man in our church, a man in his best years, found out early last week that he has a brain tumor. And the diagnosis of pathology is not good. He goes to Duke Hospital this coming week. Never far from death, yet here we are alive. Years ago, I was leading something, a, a week-long thing out in Houston, Texas, in a Methodist church, and we had a layman in our group. He came, we, it was a week-long thing. And he said one day, he said, you know, every day when I wake up, I say, Lord, here I am alive again. Wow, another day of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could feel that way when we wake up? I have a great friend, uh, Fred Farmer, at St. James Methodist Church in Columbia. Fred says this, every day is a good day. Some days are better than others, Fred said. But every day is a good day. Always going through it. All of us here have things that we're going through, one thing or another. Sometimes they, they're a little far apart, sometimes they overlap. But Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. So we know we shall have tribulation. It isn't that we do or don't, it's how we face those tribulations. You shall face these. You're going through it, yet never going under. Never going under. That's what Jesus said. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And then he says, we know sorrow. I think all of us here, to one degree or another, know something about sorrow. And this weekend we're facing that dread disease of cancer and what it's done in so many lives and people. But we are to be those say, people who say and proclaim by God's grace that our joy is inextinguishable, never goes out. And today I want to share some things with you, things I've never shared publicly in these years in the ministry. And uh, Arthur and George, this is my 55th year under appointment of the United Methodist Church. I was just five years old when I started. No. <laughs> That's I was 19 years old when I was licensed to preach. And like you, I've been through some things. And I want to share some of the things out of my life and some of the things out of other people's lives that would claim these verses as a source of strength and hope 
And you might say, well, why do you want to do that? Well, I think Paul said it best. I want to share that with you, what Paul said. The same translation, another, at the beginning of the second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul said it this way about why he was doing these things, writing this for them. Thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. For he gives us comfort in our trials so that we may, in turn, may be able to give the same sort of strong sympathy to others in theirs. The more we are able to give of his... Uh, uh, indeed, experience shows that the more we share Christ's sufferings, the more we are able to give of his encouragement. This means that if we experience trouble, we can pass on to you comfort. And that's my hope here today, that by God's grace, you and I may leave this place with a little stronger faith and a little bit more compassion and a greater hope. For if we ourselves have been comforted, we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we have ourselves endured. We are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. And that's what I hope to do in the next few minutes a little bit. When I was 18, in the latter part of August, I, I knew my dad wasn't feeling too well. He'd been to doctors, and, you know, way back then, they didn't have all the good things then that they have now. They didn't have the diagnostic tools. They didn't have many, a lot of things that they do now. Thanks God they have them now. But they told my daddy one thing was good, that he did not have cancer. But they couldn't find what was wrong for his pain. So they had to do exploratory surgery. And they opened him up and closed him up. That his body was full of cancer. He stayed in the hospital a few days, and then he came home where he stayed the rest of his life. I was 18. I had only been a committed Christian since the February of that year, and this was in the latter part of August. And my daddy was an upbeat, uh, happy, joking, uh, gregarious kind of person, and he remained some of that through this. And thank God that they, they taught my mother how to inject morphine, and she gave him morphine at home for the pain that riddled his body. And we were there, mother, just daddy, mother, and me. But I had, we had wonderful people. His sisters lived over at Spartanburg. And his sisters, they were twins, Evie and Irvie, and they'd come down to Columbia and stay with us. And he had another sister over there, Catherine, and, all, and another, Roberta. They were all Baptists. 
except one was a Presbyterian. And then he had a younger brother named Leroy. Leroy came back from World War II, and then he got a job. He was a house painter. And Leroy quit his job and came down to Columbia to take care of his older brother. And we all lived together there at that time, and the house we lived in was not ours. We rented it. The house had nine rooms, five downstairs, four upstairs. We lived in three rooms, and mother and daddy rented out the others so we could pay the rent for the whole house. But we somehow lived together there during those months. And then finally, the end was near. He dwindled down to about 100 pounds, still staying home, never went back to the hospital. And some of the people from our church, Main Street Methodist Church, it wasn't called United then, came by. And the pastor would come, Reverend A.B. Ferguson. And then the day came. And I prayed as a young Christian for my daddy to be healed. And I think that's appropriate. And I still think it is, no matter what. But I was there no further than from here to the third pew from my daddy when he died. I saw him in that moment. And I had been in school. I had, after that period of time in my life from committing myself to follow Jesus, I had felt a call of God to go into ministry. Though a lot of people wondered, not you. It really did. But then I really got turned off with God. I saw things around me and I wondered, why did my daddy die? I was 18. He was 53. My mother was 44. And I remember his service and a cousin of mine, an older cousin, John, was there. And John came over to try to help me but I rejected things. And I had spiritual and intellectual struggles with all of the things I'd known and all the things I had affirmed, especially in the last, that year before my daddy died in January the next year. He lived from August to January. But I want to say that somehow God worked with me through other people who comforted me and cared for me and he worked through a professor at the University of South Carolina where I was a day student, Dr. Lauren Brubaker, who was a professor of Bible and religion. Now, some of you didn't know that they had a department of Bible and religion at the University of South Carolina. But he helped me. He, he formed a private class for me. And he and I would meet together once a week for an hour and I would discuss a lot of things for him. And he is responsible for me going to the seminary I did. We looked at all the best in the country, and when I did, I said, I'm going to do this thing anyway, though I have still don't understand. Maybe if I go to seminary, I'll understand. Well, I went to seminary. And went through all those times. So hard to lose your parents, especially when you're young. 
I only knew him when as a, as a boy and as a teenager. I never got to know him as an adult. I wish I had. I would have learned so much. I wish I had. But in the midst of that, I know that we're all never far from death. And I was alive and my mother was alive and friends and family. But I think of someone else who is a friend of Patsy, I'm her husband, and me and uh, other people, a young person, well, relatively young to me. She was in her early 40s, and they found out she had lung cancer, the third lobe on her right side. And they had to take her to Emory, to the hospital there, and they removed that part of her lung. <coughs> Excuse me. And... She went through chemo and radiation, and I would see her, I would visit her, and she was going through the pangs of just terrible suffering, as some of you maybe have done. But I want to say today, she's in her middle 50s, and vibrant, alive, active person. So there, there's this, never far from death yet, here we are alive, always going through it, yet never going under. This was her situation. And while I was over at Simpsonville Church, we got to know this couple that were coming in, Jill and Brad. And Patsy became very good friends with Jill. Jill was just some, a little younger than Patsy. But we found out that Jill had ovarian cancer. And her doctor, one of the doctors, was Dr. Uh, Jimmy Hunter, who is uh, the son of one of our retired pastors, Jim Hunter. And they worked with her. They did surgery. But you know ovarian cancer is so hard to deal with. And they worked with her. But she went through, and Patsy would go with her for her chemo and then through radiation and Patsy would help her coming back home, and she would be sick, and Patsy would wait on her, and other people came, and people surrounded her out of her family and her church, bringing comfort. And she was the brightest person. She loved sunflowers. And she wanted, her dream was to go to, uh, over to Venice. And on her birthday that was coming up, her 50th birthday, her husband gave her a birthday card. And she looked at it, the card, and there were two tickets to Venice. And she was in a good time at that moment. And they went over there and had a wonderful trip. Well, Jill lasted for five years. Grateful for those five years. Her ashes are placed there in a spot near Simpsonville United Methodist Church. We were there. They called for us to come back the time that Jill died. We were there at the house, and in the moment that, that Jill was dying, the hospice nurse was there. Oh, hospice is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I have a daughter who, out of three, two other careers, finally has found her place. She is a chaplain with hospice now. 
my oldest daughter. And this hospice nurse was there, and Patsy said she thought she felt something that was kind of leaving at a time when Jill died. And the hospice nurse said that's not unusual for people to feel like that. Oh, there are others along the way. We're always going through it. But I want to say let's never go under. Let's never give in. Let's know that God's grace is there to give us faith and hope and courage. Also, while I was at Simpsonville, we had a, a young, bright girl in the church, 11 years of age. And they found out one day that she had a swelling above her left knee. And upon examination, they... Uh, Friends, I, I don't want to keep you long, but I just got to tell you some of these things. I really do. I think God wants me to. And they found out with Chelsea that this was a cancer, that it happens in a lot of young people in this place above the knee. And they found out of a special surgery that was performed at the Medical University down in Charleston. And so Chelsea and her mama, Mary, and her daddy, Mark, and the brother, little brother, Josh, they went down to Charleston, and Patsy and I went down with them. They were going to do a special kind of surgery. They were going to cut Chelsea's leg off. And then they were going to cut it in two places. And they were going to take the bottom part of her leg to become her knee with the foot pointing backwards to give more comfort for the prosthesis. And I remember Chelsea down there the night before the surgery. She said, I'm saying goodbye to my knee, to my part of my leg. It's been a good leg, a good leg, 11 years old. They did the surgery, and it's painful and difficult and everything that happened, but Chelsea made it through. And then she went back home, not going under. She went back home, and with courage and faith and with hope and with God's grace, the family began to know that things were all right. Chelsea had been in a, a dance group around Simpsonville, dancing. And sometimes later, when her leg had healed and she had a prosthetic device down below, Chelsea said she was going to dance in their recital. And they had the recital at Hillcrest High School. And the place was packed. I mean, that's a pretty big auditorium, too. It was packed. And we waited. You know, recitals always take a long time. There were dance groups, all the little ones, and then the others come out. And Chelsea now was about, she was past 12. And then when her group came out to dance, everybody in that place automatically stood up and applauded. And Chelsea 
danced. And today, she is in a process of becoming an expert in prosthetic devices and helping others. She didn't go under. How you and I face cancer, and it's a terrible thing. And either we need, we need to watch things, even small things, my friends, like skin cancer. I've had a number of those. A lot of you had. I, I grew up outdoors. I just stayed outdoors all the time as a boy and a young man. And that's what I've had several squamous cells, basal cell, no melanoma, thank God. But uh, I had a friend who had a little speck under her thumbnail. And after a while, they had to take off her thumb. And then they took off her hand. And then they took off her arm, and then she died. They kept hope, though. They kept faith. We've had, we've had things, haven't you? I, I had to have a cancer taken off right here back a couple months ago. A Mohs surgery. I don't know if you ever heard that. M-O-H-S. It went from 8.15 in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. And they took it off about the size of a nickel. But then they showed me something on a TV screen that had three little tiny specks about the head, big as the size of a pen. They said, that's cancer. We've got to make it bigger. So they cut it out about as big as a quarter. And then they had to do a procedure to reconstruct the process here. They had to take place over here and pull it across here to get it back on my nose. And I told our wonderful surgeon, uh, young woman, I said, hey, you straightened out the bag under my right eye. I said, why don't you do that later on my left eye? And she said, your insurance won't pay for that. <laughs> but how, be careful, please, take care of yourself. And let us give out of our courage and so forth what we have. We know sorrow. A lot of us in here know some deep sorrow. In a year, long years ago, I moved from Mount Lebanon charging Greenwood down to Whitmire. I'd driven through Whitmire, the little town. But I went there, and I, that was a fine church. Oh, it's about 450 members. They had an active youth group. They had an active college student group. They did all kind of service projects and everything. And we had a good time. Got to know everybody in the town, knew everybody, of course. About 3,000 people, including a few dogs and cats, I guess. But uh, everybody knew everybody. And the church was a wonderful church. And in the August of that first summer when I was appointed there in June, my oldest son, James Herbert Nates III, Herbie we called him, because that's what my dad would call at least. Well, most people called him Herbert, a Herb. His sisters called him Hub. Other people called him Nates. And he answered all of them. But this was my son. He was 13, out for the junior varsity football team at Whitmire. And he made it. He made it. I saw him with his jersey. Pretty good size 
strong young man, about 5'10", 175 pounds. And he loved two things, a little more than that, but he loved reading and he loved football. When he was 12, he read the four-volume biography of Abraham Lincoln uh, by uh, uh, old name Slip, Sandsbury. Uh, what's the fellow up at Flat Rock? Stanberg. I heard him in college. Why didn't I? Sandberg. He read the four volume things uh, that, that he read, uh, that he had. And he was doing great. He came home one day and he had a, a lump on his throat. Well, I thought he'd been gotten hit playing, practicing football early on, you know. But it didn't go away. It got bigger. So he took him to a diagnostician who had one over in Newberry and he said he couldn't figure it out. It wasn't Hodgkin's, he said, but he didn't know what he was. So he sent us to uh, Eugene Talmadge Teaching Hospital in Augusta, Georgia. And they examined him through a process and everything that, that they said, he's got some form of leukemia, and we don't know what it is. And we said, is he going to be all right? They said, we don't know. So it was a whole process from the latter part of August to that fall. And I, want to, I could, I could take, keep you a longer time and tell you about Whitmire, that little town and that church, how they surrounded us when we knew there. We brought Herbie home from the hospital the first time, and they had a banner draped across the parsonage. The cheer, high school cheerleaders were there. Others were there. Welcome was home. And we had friends that we were making. And a lot of times, Herbie was so weak, he couldn't, couldn't sit up in a car to make the trip down to Augusta. So Holcomb Funeral Home in Union, South Carolina, Billy and August, one of them would drive us down in that ambulance and take him. And Billy used to give blood, too. The town rallied around in so many ways that I could tell you about. I learned what church was from these people. I knew in my head, I knew what the Bible said, but I learned, I experienced church from them to me in this process of my son. And we prayed, of course, everybody did, and he had remissions and re along the way. But one day when he was really sick, he called me into his bedroom there and said, Daddy, close the door. And he said, I want to ask you something. Am I dying? And I had to respond to him in the most compassionate way I could without being phony or false because we had wonderful doctors and hematologists down there at the hospital, especially one, the head hematologist, Dr. Claude Star-Wright. Wonderful man. And I had to talk with Herbie about that. He, by the way, he had changed his name to Jimmy along the way sometime before he went back to Herbie. And he was there. And it, the Christmas that followed that fall, we had Christmas, and oh, Herbie told me 
don't tell the others in the family. And he was talking about he had two brothers and two other sisters, younger ones than him. He was 13, as I said. And I said, all right, I won't tell them now. Christmas, we got up. We had tried to go along with Christmas as best we could, and we had a big Christmas tree in the living room of the parsonage. And we rolled Herbie in there in his wheelchair. And Herbie said, this is the best Christmas we've ever had. And then he got into crisis. We took him back to the hospital. And we were there. And they got into a worse crisis. And I looked out the hospital window and I saw three friends from Whitmire coming. George Donnan, Harry Young, and Brutt Baker all coming out. This was on a Sunday morning. And Herbie died on a Sunday morning at 11.30. I was angry with God, more than angry. You've heard the expression in the Bible, curse God and die. Well, I did curse God, but I didn't die. Somehow, he dealt with me. I was angry, filled with anger, filled with remorse, wanted it to be me instead of him. And God and I had some terrible conversations. Read in the psalmist some of the things they've said. I think the thing that maybe could describe how I felt, if you'll bear with me just a few more minutes, that was said in a, in a poem by W.H. Auden. I was an English major in college. He wrote this in 1936. But this was made popular by a movie of some years ago now, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I imagine some of you have seen that. This is, describes how I felt better than I could take so long, much longer to tell you then of the anger and the bitterness I had. Funeral blues. Stop all the clocks. Cut off the telephone. Prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone. Silence the pianos with muffled drum. Bring out the coffin and let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle morning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message, he is dead. Put crepe down around the white necks of the, purple, of the public doves. Let the traffic police wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east, my west, my working week, and my Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean 
and sweep up the woods, for nothing now can ever come to any good. That's a despairing kind of thing, and that's just the way I felt. And I had long difficulties with this. The people were so great with me there at Whitmire Church. And I still have deep friends and love that place, though like a lot of textile towns, it's, it's declined a lot. But I want to tell you, I fought, and I fought with God. I fought with other people. I just had anger and bitterness. But over a process of years, God brought me back. I remember a time when my daughter Jennifer, when they were up at Charlotte, she, Jennifer, husband, and their first son, Joseph, they're now missionaries over in Africa. They have two other sons along with Joseph, Samuel and James. They named one James. But I saw her, we were up there one time, and uh, uh, Joseph was about three, and he, something was bothering whether it was his stomach or whether he was upset or something, a three-year-old, and he was just crying and crying and wailing. And my daughter took him in her arms and held him and just kind of cradled him and, and went back and forth and talked to him quietly till he settled down and had rest and went to sleep. I think that's how God did with me. Somehow, he held me and said, I'm not giving up on you. You know sorrow, but I want you to have joy inextinguishable. So, you have been through things too. And I'm so glad that you're honoring this time, this His weekend, and having this relay for life to somehow, it's, they can deal with cancer in such a better way now. But how we need to continue and not give up and not become uh, indifferent to what's going on with others and things around about us. God took a broken man and brought me back into the fold. And God still loved me. I, I just didn't have any use for God. Jesus was still my friend, but I didn't like God. But he brought me back. He brought me. I did not do the returning. He was already there. And he brought me back. And it, I think you and I, if we can have this kind of attitude that speaks in a psalm. It says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. He is full 
of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vow to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord in the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vow to you in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I came to that time after a long period of time. I won't go into that because I don't want you to have as long as I did. I came to the place where with my son, the greatest sadness of my life, where I was more grateful for his life than I was sorrowful for his death. God did it in me. I didn't do it. And God's people around me who were there. And I pray that if you're going through anything like that, know that God is still there with you. You may feel like he abandoned you just like I did, but he hasn't. And I pray that we, you and I, because we've gone through some things, as Paul said to the church at Corinth, because we know suffering, we can have joy and extinguishment without being phony now with other people. And I pray God's blessings be with all of us here, that we may be filled with God's Spirit of compassion and love and hope. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.